Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. I am Illegal86. As always, I am joined by Nerd Bomber and Tectic from across the digital void. How are you guys doing this week? I'm doing great, man. It's springtime. The weather is getting nicer. The days are getting longer. I feel like mm. we always go through like a weather update in our intros. So it's worth it this time, though, guys. It's spring. It's also allergy season. I want to. I want to make specific yeah. mention of that because, first of all, I think since we we kind of do our little warm up before we start hit the big red button to record, and I've sneezed a handful of times. I've sneezed more times today than I have in the past three months. Shout out to my throat for the shout out to Tactics Throat. I was just going to say ample um, clearing. I it, it was actually you know that scene in Elf, the Christmas movie Elf, where he burps for like a minute long. Yeah, you're like wow. Tactic was just clearing his throat for it's uninterrupted for a whole minute before we hit the big red button here. So he should be good. There should be no more phlegm. Look at this. One minute in, I'm already talking about phlegm. But he should be phlegm free. I should be sneeze free. We'll edit that out probably if if I sneeze. But it's allergy season. But the days are getting longer. I went I I went on a run today and I was outside. Did um, you throw up? Did not throw up. Did I tell that story on the air? Or was you that, did. That been... You like alluded to it, but <laughs> yeah. you didn't tell the story. Guys, one of my first runs of 2021, I uh, I threw up on the street. That's, that's look, no pain, no gain, all right? It was weakness leaving the body, or more particularly, it was Arby's leaving the body. So, look, people didn't show up for these visuals. They didn't show up for phlegm. They didn't show up for Arby's vomit. So we're not going to talk about that too much more. We have to talk about some video game news today. We, of course, saw those PSVR 2 controllers. We we're going to talk about those. I certainly have some thoughts. We're going to talk about the announcements from... Nerd Bomber, you tripped me up here. You, you were saying Square Enix before we started. I'm a Square Enix man. I think it's an Enix. The girl in the video was also saying Enix, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. We're going to talk about Necromunda, which I think Tactic is pretty excited about. You got to roll the R. Necromunda. You can roll the... Yeah, yeah I, I left that for you. You can roll the R. We're going to talk about Ace Venture 3, because that's apparently coming down the pipe. So there's a lot to get into today. Let's talk about the PSVR 2 controllers to start because I have to tell you, I, I'm i not, I'm not like, it, it's tough because people who own a PS5, aka Nerd Bomber and Tactic, uh, I am not yet a PS5 owner. I've heard many, many great things about the controllers, the haptic feedback, the adaptive triggers. It's the talk of the town, the toast of the town even. It literally made those controllers, the dual sense controllers are my favorite gaming controllers ever. And... Right. Like I think I said this on the show, like when I got the Nintendo Switch Pro controller, I thought that was like the best controller ever in my life. But the Dual Sense really like it pushed pushed that out of the way. Like that's a far far second now to the Dual Sense. It is interesting because I I think before the Pro controller came out, I think most people were like, Xbox has the best controller. It's not even close. I'm not sure I agreed with that, but that was that was the predominant opinion. Then the Pro came out, and I think a lot of people thought Pro is the best controller. And now I think it is shifting back towards Sony, where the DualSense is king of the castle. And what I was reading about the PSVR 2 controllers is that they're trying to incorporate a lot of those features, of course. You know, considering how positive the feedback has been, you know, we have these haptic feedback mechanisms. We have the triggers. It Look, it's, it's certainly an upgrade from the Magic Wands for me, but I'm not feeling it. That's like my, I think I'm, I think I'm going to be the dissenting opinion here. I expect to be, it's too much. What is the design need? And maybe they mentioned this, but what is the design need for the loops, the big loops, the big, it's, you're carrying a lot of luggage. And I know they said it's light and it's the right weight and everything, but 
it just seems like there's a you have a giant thing on your hand this big curly swirly that i don't know what the point of it is tactic do you know yeah I, i have a feeling you might know so i think it's a step in the more intuitive space and what i mean by that is going back to games like iron man vr and and switching from the wrist rockets to the palm rockets you're holding a stick and it doesn't necessarily in my opinion, translate well to those type of movements. And I think having the, the haptic feedback on things that you're intuitively grabbing and, and, and rolling your wrist and things like that is really the next step in the evolution of VR. And so me personally, I'm very excited about this and I, and I can kind of see the need for it. Right, right. But the, the big swirly twirly, I mean, I, I, so I agree. I, I, go ahead. The, yeah. the big swirly twirly, at least from what I know of like the Oculus and other VR systems that are more closely aligned with this new controller design, what I believe is the case for all of that is that the entire ring has sensors. So instead of having to rely on the orbs for motion tracking, you won't have to worry about that at all. Like if you put the controller behind your back, there's no light thing that a camera has to pick up on. The entire orb has all of the sensors on it, so it'll be more intuitive in terms of tracking. It'll be able to sense fine control and, I guess, movement of your hand better, is my understanding of that wraparound cage with design. With that, you could probably also re- get a, a lag time reduction because with the orbs, you get a camera looking for the orb, interpreting that picture, translating it to motion, and then responding in your image or in your game with the sensors right on the controller you don't have such a long loop there so it, it makes sense to me we should talk about competitors because i think you mentioned oculus or maybe i imagine you did but are oculuses oculuses are the ones that have the little circle out in front right but they're not this they're not this big are they when i look at this i see you know old-timey swords that have the, the hand guards that's what i see is that a problem I, I I guess I'm still deciding whether it is. I like the idea of it looks like it's very secure. I mean, I mean clearly they and I you know the wands have these too, but you have these wristbands. It looks very self-contained, but it just looks like they look kind of bulky to me. They're f- very fluid. Like I did, it's clear that a lot of care was taken in the design, but I'm just wondering what it's all for. And I'm sure a lot of a huge part of it is what you're saying, the tracking and having this entire ring to track it. But then you have these big cross pieces and I just, I don't know. Well, the the other thing that I'm wondering too is, like you said, the other competitor products, they only have that ring kind of out in front. It's not encasing your hand. And I wonder if part of that might be due to like haptics and stuff like that. Maybe you'll be be able to get different sensations on different areas of your hand. And I mean, I think that they said that these controllers will even have stuff like finger tracking, which I think is something that we've really missed that I know as a PSVR user, I know other systems have introduced finger tracking and I haven't run into too many games where that's been an issue where I'm like, darn, I wish I could see my individual fingers. But I think it could <laughs> right. I think it could be cool if you're like drawing on a whiteboard or something or you can just like reach out and poke something. You know what I mean? I wonder if it's, it's there's different technology that we just don't know enough about yet because we don't have the full specs of these things. And I wonder if there's a reason for that more all-encasing orbital design. I think finger tracking is absolutely necessary and and it is something that that needs to be there for so for me personally I take very serious games very not seriously. So when there's like important dialogue going on in the game, I'll sit there and like play with their ears or or tweak their nipples and things like that and, and Nerd Bombers watched me play before and she's she'd just be like, "Would you just enjoy the game for the game?" 
it's frustrating. And you're like, to her, but you're like, no, I'm, no. My <laughs> response is, I am. I mean, different right. strokes for different folks. But things like that would make it a little bit more fun and a little bit more nipple tweaky. Here's another question, and I have to say, I think the answer for me is no. But I'm just curious: Do we miss the light? Is there any addition of coolness factor or functionality? But I mean, granted, these wands look ridiculous, but they have these big glowing lights on them that. If someone else is watching you play, it's probably more interesting to watch when they've got these glowing lights on their hands. I would say from a from a spectator standpoint, you definitely miss something. But when you're actually playing, you don't see those anyway because you're inside a headset. You don't know that those are even a thing. I'm going to be honest. As a spectator, it's entertaining watching someone VR either way. They look ridiculous. You just you don't look cool playing VR. But I know, I know, I know the lights and the controllers. I mean, I, I want to say for the regular DualShock and the Gram, still back on the previous generation PS4. What can I say? I'm a traditionalist. But the lights on those controllers are a big deal because they indicate which player you are, and there's all kinds of things that they can do. And I don't know if if that functionality would be missed in the VR context. Probably not. Like I said, my inclination is to say no. But well, think about that's another the, thing that I noted about it. Think about the regular PlayStation controller for the PS5. Player one is blue. Player two is yellow. Right. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. You still have designations within the, the home button on the controller. And I'm sure they'll include that there as well. And I wonder too, like, I don't think you could ever have multiple people using PSVR headsets no. on a PlayStation 5. I, as much as there is a lot more power in the PlayStation 5 compared to the PS4, I don't know if it would be able to support the processing power for two headsets concurrently. Yeah, so I don't know if that would space. even be... Yeah, I don't know if that would even be an issue because I I think it would like probably explode if you tried to do it. More importantly, it would be a safety issue between the two people flailing. Right, that too. Could you imagine playing like a boxing game, like the Creed VR game, and accidentally actually whacking someone in the head if you're playing like one-on-one with them? Well, Tactic would just be over there tweaking his own nipples, so I don't think it would be a huge concern. (laughs) No, I don't tweak my own nipples in the game. I, I tweak the AI nipples. And oh, to, to be very clear, he's talking about the London Heist game, which is on, is it the demo disc? No, I'm talking literally every game I play. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of these games don't have like, let's be, people. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. If there's nipples, he's tweaking them. <laughs> he's trying to. Tactic, this is a family show. You took us down a dark road. I, I, I want to talk about, in the context of this, and, and in the context of you mentioning finger tracking before, what's the end of the design road here or is there not one like what is the ideal vr controller because to me it's a glove right right. i think we're in agreement here my initial thought like if they could somehow capture all of this technology in a glove that you wear like that is the ideal vr setup i don't know why we landed on wands in this generation like i I guess there's got to be a reason that we landed on wands instead of just doing gloves probably from like a wiring standpoint maybe i don't know well, the, the thing is, you still need buttons and triggers, right? Yeah, but you could do that like on your palm, you know, have buttons on the palm of the glove that you could hit uh, or something. You can't do that with triggers. And also, I feel like it would be hard to reliably press buttons on your palm. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I've never tried to do that. I've never just sat down and put buttons on my palm and tried to press them. But I mean, I remember, though, like I'm thinking back to the iToy days. I don't know if either of you had an iToy for the PlayStation 2, but essentially oh, it was a, a camera... It was called the iToy. And you didn't use controllers at all. Like it somehow... Just picked for, it up. It was like a Kinect. Yeah. It basically was like, a, yeah, like a Kinect where it just picked up your motion, took you out of the background without a green screen and like put you in a game and just picked up your hand motion. And so like, I don't know why you couldn't just have like 
menu options kind of transparently in the corner. So if you wanted to switch weapons or something, you would make a motion or if you wanted to get back to the menu, you could hover over a certain area in the screen, you know, make gestures. I'm I'm thinking about in another point to make with regards to PSVR specifically is I have the wands, but I also have the aim controller. And I think you guys have the aim controller as well. Do you not? Yeah, it's been very underutilized in our house, though. It's been underutilized for me, but I have to say, I love it. I, I think you can't... The thing with like this glove idea, which I still think that's probably the end of the design road, and we'll let Technic weigh in no, on that in a minute. But that's not the end. But I think the idea of holding something is is very important. So I, I don't know if it's, it amounts to you wear gloves and you still hold something that's like the the aim that doesn't really the aim has a trigger but it's not really it's not connected to anything you know what i'm saying you the gloves can tell when you're pulling a trigger but well it would the be trigger like itself is just a thing you have it would be like the peripherals for the wii or the switch where like you have yeah, exactly. you have a tennis racket but you're just holding it, it does absolutely nothing right i think that sort of thing could come if if you had gloves that ha- if you if you could buy a peripheral that was just basically a nine millimeter pistol that was just a basically a piece of plastic that had maybe a movable trigger and you use that with your gloves, to me that's the end of the road. But but Tactic apparently seems to feel differently. So Tactic, what so, to you is the end of the road, or is there not one? I agree that gloves are the next logical step. I don't think it's the end of the road. The true thing that VR in general is missing is the the legs. I mean, every oh, single, okay. you either warp to your different location or you have to twist and then pan, pan, pan on the buttons. We need an omnidirectional treadmill. That's well, all we they, they definitely actually have them. I know it's always advertised to me on Amazon. I have no idea who makes the thing. I remember it was advertised on sale and I was like, this would be so neat. And I clicked on it and it was absurdly expensive. It's I was like, absurdly like, expensive. It's more expensive than the VR headset. It's not so. widely adapted across all games. It's just not there yet. And and I agree. It's frustrating because the technology exists. It just hasn't been implemented. I and totally I don't agree with you. You raise a good point. Especially like playing Doom V. I, I'm sure I've talked about Doom VFR on the podcast before. It's a little maddening because, like you said, you have this option of teleportation or pa- quick panning that really disorients you very quickly. Farpoint did it right, did it way better, where you're just using a controller and you're walking around and you're walking very slowly. You're not moving quickly and you're always walking in one direction. So you're not having to do that quick jumping and everything. It's just it's awful. So you, you have the, the option of a treadmill, but you also have the option of... It's going full black mirror with it where it's not VR anymore. It's just happening in your head. That's the, that's the thing I can think where somehow it can you can close your eyes and just lay down and suddenly you're running around and walking around like you're in a video game. No, I want to I want to burn kilocalories. Okay, so that's you want to be actually, yeah, up and moving. Also, not a big chalky headset. That would be a cool upgrade too. Well, yeah. I'm trying to think like Ready Player One. And I know this was obviously yeah. a fictional story, but like I'm trying to think of in the movie, I, I'm trying to remember what the the setup was because I believe it was something where they like locked into some kind of harness like te- and they were yeah, able like to move in. around. Yeah, but like you, it was kind of like you were almost in like a floating ring thing and you were like tethered, almost like a, a bungee sort of deal, yeah. but you could like walk around. I feel like that is probably somewhere in the future. You know what I mean? Like that's in the future, but that's like I think akin to laser tag today like if you went to play laser tag they would fit you up with this little vest and stuff and you you go in and run around soon enough they're going to say okay we're going to put all of you in these rigs you're going to be wearing headsets and you're going to be running around in this virtual environment you're all going to be 
wired up to headsets you can still talk to each other and everything but you're going to be like in space or something you know what i mean i think that's going to be a thing you go do like an escape room or more but i don't think it's going to be in people's houses at least not for a while you got to move away from the big chunky headsets because those things get sweaty and gross well and so the biggest yeah. challenge there is the optics if you've ever tried to look at a, a say a small screen right up close to your eye it's impossible and that's why the the headsets are so thick because you got to have it far away from your eye or else your eye just won't be able to focus on the image. And so how to do we how do we how do we do that from a technology perspective? And that's the challenge for the next step. I feel like it can't be that far off though because you do have things like we just talked about last week the Microsoft what was it the Wave? Mesh. No, that's not right. Yeah, the Microsoft Mesh. That didn't look like it was this massive thing. But that's that AR, was super that's thick. And I, I understand that's AR, but it's still like you're seeing things through these glasses that aren't there in real life. Like it's not projecting a hologram in the middle of your room. You're seeing that through a lens. So if we can focus on something like that, I feel like we can do something with VR. We just aren't there yet. Well, it isn't, isn't the Quest like PSVR is the biggest one. I think like the quest is like pretty reasonable. I think I've never worn it. Yeah. It's not as big as the PSVR, at least not the new one. It's a little bit slimmer. The thing about PSVR and I, I was just reading at the tail end of this article on IGN about the the controllers. I guess it was announced in February. This slipped by me, but what is the most annoying thing about using PSVR to you? Because for me, it's such a tangle. Anytime I want to use it, it's like, okay, there's 16 cords. The fact that the PSVR 2 is purportedly going to only have one cord. You have 16 cords? I there's Well, there's two cords that plug into the processor, right? And then, there, and then you have to daisy chain your HDMIs from the, from the console to the processor. And then I believe... See, we leave, we leave that processor are, plugged in all the time. Well, so do I. But it's... I, my cord management situation with that is not good it, it's it's part of partly a me problem but also partly a unless you have a large entertainment center like i have a very difficult then like they sell like racks you can put it on but none of those look very good i i just i want something that i, I mean ideally it'd be wireless obviously but that's never going to happen but i want the cord management system i to wouldn't be say never because i mean obviously to to take some of the power for from the PlayStation 5, you need a wire. But I mean, you look at the Oculus Quest 2 and that is completely wireless. And yeah, you can add a wire to basically take some of the processing power load and divert it to your PC and make stuff run smoother and run better games. But I mean, wireless isn't out of the realm of possibility. That's what I want, almost certainly. That's the, that's the number one thing. Forget the controllers, forget any other improvements. I want the wires gone. Because I think that's good. I think that would be more freeing than even you realize. Regardless of getting tangled or not, I think just not having them could be a big, a big deal. But we're, we're gonna, so we're going to move on from PSVR for now. We have other topics to get to, but we want to know on Twitter at OWLady6, at OWTactic, at OWNerdBomber, and our main show account at OnlineWarriors1. What do you think of the PSVR2 controllers? What do you think of the PSVR2 in general? What we've heard. This is just the latest thing. Let us know. Do you think the controllers look a little bulky like I do? Do you understand maybe things that I don't about why they look that way? Hit us up. Drop us a DM or something. I don't know. I'm not active on the DMs and Twitter. Not sure if I've ever even sent a DM. Not my thing. But hit us up there. Let's move away from gaming for a second. We'll come back to gaming later. Let's talk about movies. Let's talk about Ace Ventura. And Nerdbomber's going to get mad because she doesn't like Jim Carrey. But... Yeah. Ace Ventura 3, officially in the pipe. And if you've never seen Ace Ventura, I've only seen the first one. Tectic is a 
Uh, Pet Detective both. is the best one, and if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Is Pet Detective... No, the second one's When Nature Calls. You did this last time. Pet Detective is the first one. You're right. When Nature Calls is the best one, and if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. I have not seen the second one. I've seen the first one. They're both amazing. They're both great. I've, I've, I've seen bits and pieces of the second Over there. It's... Look, you know, you know Jim Carrey. You've seen Bruce Almighty. Maybe you've seen Ace Ventura. Maybe you've seen Sonic. He is just an unchained melody of like insanely high energy comedy right and ace ventura i don't know if he was involved in the writing process i don't know if he took the script and made it something that it it wasn't originally but it lives and dies by his energy right so what was holding this up for those that were curious is that he's often he doesn't do sequels he's very reticent typically towards sequels perhaps because of the way ace ventura 2 went i don't know but he didn't want to do three for a long time he's just now coming around to it I would imagine maybe because of money, though I, I don't know. The main question I have here is, does he still... The amount of energy you need to do something like Ace Ventura, is he over the hill? Like, I'm not an ageist, but... Did you see Sonic? I did yeah, not see I, Sonic. I think he's got the energy for it. He definitely... So you think he's like, still there? One of the things that I knocked... Uh, the only thing that I really didn't like about Sonic, and I loved the Sonic movie, was Jim Carrey's interpretation of Dr. Robotnik slash Eggman. Because... I mean, a lot of people loved it, but Eggman slash Dr. Robotnik wasn't just this big, crazy, super hyperactive goofball. Like, he was more evil villain. And Jim Carrey kind of gave us that, but he also gave us, like, classic Jim Carrey crazy frenetic energy. And I personally didn't jive with that. Like, I thought the movie overall was great and, like, it didn't damage the movie at all, but I think it could have been better without that frenetic energy. But that's frenetic a is long, a great word, by the way. It's a long like- way to say that he still has it frenetic is is the perfect word for him i mean i i will say like i, I read a thesaurus today i i have to gush i mean ace ventura i could like i think i per- probably first saw that movie when i was 12 or 13 years old i laughed then and i laugh now I, like i laugh like pretty hard when i watch that movie now it is still just to me it's just the sense of humor in it holds up so much it is a ridiculous movie it's a movie about a man who is a pet detective that alone should tell you that it's just going to be nonsense a little bit of finkel a little bit of einhorn a little bit of finkel a little bit of einhorn i particularly love the part where they're investigating the murder in the apartment and he goes out onto the patio and he's sliding the glass door back and forth one of my favorite comedy scenes and he's just like belting operatic like it's it's so jim carrey like again i don't even know if there was a script i don't know if they were just like just do your thing man like i wonder that about this movie in particular they just called him in and were like just you have to get from point a to point b narratively however you get there we do not care it wouldn't surprise me at all to to hear that because to me when i think of jim carrey if that were the case, I 100% think the rewind slow motion ballerina scene, that is <laughs> off the script. It has to be. that. I, I don't even care if there was a script or not. That ballerina slow motion rewind has to be not in the script. There's no way they wrote that in there because who's going to do that? Who's going to think to do that besides Jim Carrey? T- to me, this is his definitively iconic role. And I know that's going to take... I'm going to take flack for that. People would say The Mask, probably. Maybe no. People would say Bruce Almighty. I don't know. To me, this is... No, I think it's... Iconic. I, I 100% think it's Ace Ventura. You know, the the, the, the catch... The already then, that had to be a huge thing when this movie first came out. People were probably saying that all over the place, right? I'm just curious what direction they're going to go. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean... Well, I believe... So, the article from Screen Rant that we all read prior to the show 
it's pretty speculative, but yeah. But I believe the writers from the Sonic movie are attached to it, and they're speculating that that could be why Jim Carrey is suddenly open to doing this sequel. Which would make sense to me, because I, if I was a writer and I worked with Jim Carrey on something else, and I, I saw, like you said, that he still has this energy, you have to channel that. Right. And, and you were complaining about Dr. Robotnik because maybe that's not a good place to channel Jim Carrey's energy. Well, at that point, you look at what places are like definitively good places to channel his energy. And Ace Venture is one of those. And honestly, as a screenwriter, I think it would be great to be like, let's just make like there's no rules when you're writing a movie like Ace Ventura. I feel like it's ridiculous. He can be chasing a dog across Mars like that, that would be a reasonable idea for Ace Ventura 3 at this point. It's. It's just you, you You have a really, I think, exciting creative space. And he. I guess he must have liked the Sonic writers. Maybe they gave him some good things to work with and he thinks they'll give him more for Ace Ventura 3. But yeah, as far as narrative tactic, you're asking the right question, which I don't know. You know, we have to look at other kind of reboots. It's not a reboot, but other I think, sequels that have I come 20 years I think it's going to surround him being a dad. And I know that sounds crazy, but, but picture this. Opening scene, there's a the Lion King-esque vibe of him holding up a baby. The circle of life, and it moves us all. And then instead of having the monkey as his sidekick, it's this baby similar to the hangover type vibe with him in all these different shenanigans. I think that would sell tickets like wildfire. How old is Jim Carrey right now? Yeah, but is he age appropriate for that sort is of he thing? Old en- is he old enough to... Pr- to- to plausibly have a, a young baby because i think so if you know how male genetics were uh not male genetics uh they <laughs> men age, they, they don't they don't have a menopause and can still be fertile a family show folks i certainly um, understand that but uh, wh- but either way he's 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 very much kind of this ageless persona in my opinion and no one really questioned someone like zach galifianakis carrying around a baby the whole movie yeah because zach galifianakis is well, I feel if he found the baby, it depends on how Ace Ventura finds the baby, I guess. But I, what, what I was envisioning, I, I think the father thing is a very, very good guess at the very least. It probably is what they're doing. But I envision it more of, I mean, we've seen it done so many times. It's, it's kind of this archetype at this point where look at Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where they brought in Shia LaBeouf to, at the time, I think purportedly they were going to make him the next one. That's not happening anymore for obvious reasons. But then you look at Star Wars, you know, they had Luke there trying to teach someone and, you know, passing the torch. You even look at movies like Shaft, where I haven't even seen the original Shaft, but they just came out with the Shaft remake a couple of years ago or last year sometime. And it's that same sort of thing where you have this this character who's, you know, quote unquote, still got it, still doing the things he did in the last movie. But he's, you know, in the interest of, of money, at the very least, it's Hollywood, it's, you know, it just churns on money. So if they're going to make an Ace Ventura 3, chances are they're thinking about, okay, how can we keep this franchise alive after Jim Carrey? You know, he's not going to be able to do the crazy physical crap he does in his 80s. Or maybe he will. I don't know. But they might be looking for somebody else. And that's impossible, in my opinion. That's a dark road for this to go down. I think it is maybe the most logical one for them to go down in terms of just what Hollywood does and how it works. But finding a new Ace Ventura would be subpar relative to finding a way to somehow tie off his arc if there is an arc throughout these two movies i haven't seen the second one but i would love them to bring courtney cox back that would be interesting to me because people might not remember but she was the love interest in the first one and you know granted movies like indiana jones and star wars have done that too at the end of the day instead of like a baby he has a full-grown like 
Pete Davison is his son, right? And he's trying to get him into the business, and he's like, "Dad, you suck. You're lame." Yeah, he, I could see he that. He finds also. out. He finds out that he had a son. You know, many many years later, he had, maybe he had a son with Courtney Cox, and she never told him. You know, like that's again a very generic road, one we've seen before. But it would be. I think what you're describing is great. It would be interesting to see uh, someone. I don't know what Ace Ventura's son would be called. Mace Ventura. No idea. But to different be name altogether. Imagine this. Imagine they take it in a totally different direction. They turn it on its head. His son is like a hard-boiled cop, like a noir kind of deal. No nonsense. Takes things very seriously. And then it's funny for a different reason entirely, right? He's a he's a, a person who hunts missing animals like they're missing people. And, you know, treats it like this very dark, dark art. I think that could be funny. Suffice to say, this is not going to be coming out for a while. 2022, I think, will be at the very earliest. It's probably going to be later than that. There's no set release date yet that we know of. But people, again, Twitter, we're, we're there. Ace Ventura, yes, no. Jim Carrey, yes, no. Nope. Uh, Ace, Ace Ventura actually, 3. That, that's not fair of me. I actually... Yeah, you haven't even given any of them a chance. No, a so... Chance. Bruce Almighty is a good movie. I've watched Bruce Almighty is good. I like Jim Carrey, and I've said the same thing about Will Ferrell. I like them in roles, aside from Elf, where it's a little less slapsticky. Same with Adam Sandler. A little less slapstick, a little so more you, grounded in reality. Yeah. I don't so, mind even the humor, but take some of that crazy, I'm going to use the word again, frenetic energy and just dial it down. That's what I you, want. The Jim Carrey you like, and we haven't, even, we've met, we haven't mentioned probably the best Jim Carrey movie, I'm realizing now. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's a good one too, actually. But I was thinking The Truman Show, which mm-hmm. I think is similar to what you're saying, where it's it's not even funny. Like it probably is at certain parts, but it's not designed to be funny. Eternal Sunshine is not designed to be funny. It's just designed to let him be an actor, which he does do on occasion. And they do it well. And I think that's the the thing that gets me because like. There are slapstick, stupid comedies that I absolutely love. Like the Harold and Kumar movies are so stupid and I love them. Pineapple Express, A+. But for whatever reason, the frenetic physical acting and like the crazy facial expressions and like just screaming and yelling, I feel like I know these actors can do better than this. And it makes me angry because I'm like, you're just using this as a crutch. I know you have a more well-rounded acting resume you can do better than this why are you doing this again and it was what i felt with hubie halloween with adam sandler even and we talked about that a few months ago when that movie yeah, came that out was, and it yeah. was just like adam sandler i know you could have made this like a heartfelt funny halloween movie like thinking back to like 51st dates if you would have taken on like that persona and instead he went into more of that like slapsticky stuff and it that just drives me crazy what the voice Not, he did yeah Oh yeah, so that that's just, it's just not my type of humor. It just isn't. Did you ever see Yes Man? Yes Man was actually pretty decent. That one's pretty good too. Yeah, like yeah. he's made a good chunk of like really good movies. I'm a Jim Carrey fan. I will, I will say, but yeah, let us know on Twitter what you're what you're feeling about this. If you think Ace Ventura three should happen, if you think it should stay dead, which is a valid opinion in the, in the era of remakes, you might just say, hey, let this one die. Let us know and. We're going to take our break now and come back to talk more about video games a little bit. But before we do, Stephen Keller, Ben Jackness, take a bow. Our Patreon producers getting their weekly shout out because they are night level subscribers on our Patreon. Ben and Stephen, both, we thank you so much for helping us make this show, for supporting the show, for getting it from our 
mouths, I guess, into your ears. That's a kind of a circuitous process. So uh, we thank you. And as I mentioned, they support us at the night level on Patreon, which as a result, they get this producer's shout out. They get access to our monthly secret segment and vlog, of course. And they also get input into our weekly game segment, which we'll do later. I believe Nerd Bomber is hosting this week. So we'll get to that. You can also support us at the Squire level, which is one tier lower on our support tree. And that gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. And there's also a page level, which gives you access to the monthly secret segment. So for more of the details on all of those tiers, everything they have to offer, you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast. Thanks again to Ben and Steven. And we will take a short break now. Shout out to sponsor before we come back and talk about Project Athia and Necromunda. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member like we are and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast, the Online Warriors podcast, in the how did you hear about Podgo section of the application. Thank you again to Podco for sponsoring today's episode. Okay, so Square Enix, Square Enix, Project... I thought it was Project Athia until an hour ago when I watched the Project Athia teaser trailer that revealed the actual title for this game. Now, have we talked about Project Athia on the show before? I think I'm we sure touched we on it briefly because it was in one of the showcases that one of the consoles put together. I want to say it was the PlayStation showcase, it had, right? It had it to have had, been because it's an exclusive. Well, it had to have been a very vague trailer because they, so they, what this teaser gave us, which was lodged, it was kind of the crown jewel, arguably the crown jewel of the Square Enix demonstration last week. It was basically revealing the main cast member, the, the protagonist for this game, and, and doing an interview with that actress. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. But they showed then some footage from the game, and I still don't know what it's... I don't know what it is. It, I don't know what it's about. The game, by the way, the title of the game, Forspoken, there's a dragon. I can tell you that. There's a dragon, and it. I, there's a vague... Is this post-apocalyptic? Am I on the right track here? That's the vibe I was getting, but maybe that I'm wrong. That is definitely you're. I'm, I definitely got like a supernatural, fantastical sort of far future type vibe because there's in in the short snippet of gameplay they showed there is like magic. The main character is using yeah. magic to fight bad things and a dragon, and so she also runs super super fast and I think uses magic to propel her forward. Oh, I love the movement in this game. Yeah, there's a lot to the little like swirly thing she does through the air. A plus. I watched that. I was like, I want to do that, which is what you want to showcase when you're showing off your game for the first time, right? I yeah. I, I was getting like, and I haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn, but I was getting like Horizon Zero Dawn vibes, a little bit of Control vibes. Obviously, less dark than Control. But then there's a dragon. You have this seemingly very large world to roam around in. So and there were so many triangles. So many triangles. I think I actually really like the fact that I don't know what it is yet. They, they, they showed us a very, very small snippet and showed you what you would be doing in as compact a way as possible without showing you everything, without laying bare any sort of questions that you have. And it, it keeps me on the hook. Yeah, so, I, I 100% agree. 
Because right now, I don't think they want to show us too much because they said this is still like very early production and it, we have a way before this game actually comes out because I think it's going to, yeah. Think. So I think this is a good little teaser thing to get you on the hook. I think seeing the dragon for me got me super excited and it kind of almost had like Tomb Raider-ish vibes. And I mean, they did, a. I think Square Enix did a really great job with the Tomb Raider reboot franchise. So this kind of meshed like a Tomb Raider kind of aesthetic and feel and like it the design of the character and everything looked like it was very modern day design but then introduced fantastical elements like a dragon and so I'm hooked I don't know enough about the game but I, I can't wait to see more about the game and so for me I think this is a very successful trailer just because it 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 basically gave you a little like love kernel and I'm stealing that from Crazy Young's girlfriend, a little love kernel. So you're like, look, this could be very cool. Wait until the next kernel. And I've I never heard that. Expression. You should watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Duly noted. I agree. And I, I, I like the Tomb Raider parallel too, uh, especially because Square Enix made that game. I was a big fan of, I don't remember if I played Rise of the Tomb Raider or just the, the original remake of it, but I was a big fan of whichever one. I was actually, when I still had an Xbox One, I played that on the Xbox One and I was a big fan of that. So we can certainly only hope they do something as well as that. And this has a lot of potential. That's, I think that's what they wanted to tell us, right? Is that they want to show us this has a lot of potential and maybe it's for you. And I think it's also smart to put the actress front and center who is clearly invested in the project and who can who can speak well of it, uh, again, without giving away too many details. She basically just said who she's, who she's playing, what to a very small extent, what motivates her character, and, and we took it from there. So I was big into that. Tactic, any thoughts before we move to Necromunda? Because I know you want to talk about Necromunda. Well, like you said, the coolest thing, in my opinion, was the movement. I love games that have very fluid movement, almost a mesmerizing movement, similar to, I hate to always circle back to this game, but but Spider-Man. I just, yeah. any kind of super swift, spinny, fun acrobatics, it just gets me hooked. And, and I don't know what it is, but I love it. So I'm very excited about this game. Yeah, Spider-Man's the gold standard in terms of movement. I totally agree, but uh, that's just a side comment. Before we totally turn away from the Square Enix Presents, the two other comments, there was a bunch of stuff that they showed. They like previewed Avengers' new path for 2021, which is probably great for people who play that game, and I, I don't. I heard bad things. Uh, I have the, the game. Yeah, I, I was going like, to say, it looked I, cool. I thought that Avengers was, was dead or dying. So I was surprised, not that they threw a, bo- a lot of weight behind it, but... I was surprised to even hear about it because I thought that did not do well. It didn't. And there was a lot of like development things. Like I know people have been waiting on, um, like I know the Hawkeye DLC. Well, it's not DLC because it's just part of the next load of missions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that came out shortly after this presents and it's been on hold or delayed for several months and they weren't really communicating things well so besides that they also showed a lot of mobile games which we all know i'm not a mobile gamer so i don't really care but they did premiere a new life is strange that they announced and it looked pretty interesting i don't know if you've played life is strange i haven't but the remaster caught my eye because i think it's something i would like yeah i mean Um, it's one of those I hesitate to call it a walking simulator, but it kind of is. It's a very story-driven game. You're not, like, shooting or doing, like, adventure RPG elements. Um, but they did announce a new one. And the the one thing that I did want to note about it that I really like is that they actually moved away from the episodic content thing. Like, they still chunked it up into chapters, but they're going to release the game all at the same time, which, as someone who is a big fan of, like, the Telltale games 
and Life is Strange and all of those. I don't like waiting. Just give it to me all at once. The whole like episodic release, I hate it. So I'm really glad they didn't do that because that sucked. So the two that they're remastering are, they're two games, but each game is split into a bunch of different episodes. Is that what you're saying? Right. So when they first launched Life is Strange and Life is Strange 2 and Life is Strange Before the Storm, they all released, it wasn't like a monthly basis. I don't remember what the time periods were, but they would release episode one and you would play through it. And then you'd have to wait for episode two to release. Kind of like what they did with Hitman and like all of the Telltale games did. And Mm -hmm. I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. If I'm like playing a game, I will forget about it. Like I won't remember the controls. I won't remember the story. I don't want to wait a month or two months to get the next episode. Right. Reasonable. Because yeah, that one, depending the price point, that definitely caught my eye. Especially I'm playing The Witness now. And and granted, The Witness is certainly not a walking simulator. It's more of a puzzle-y game, but it's very calm. It's very serene. I think Life is Strange would deliver a similar experience. So that caught my eye as well. And then my last comment and this yeah. is so stupid. And it was like a 30 to 40 second trailer. And I'm not a big mobile gamer. But gosh darn it, if they didn't get me kind of excited for the Space Invaders mobile game. Why I'm excited for this, I don't know. But the trailer basically shows like in real life, Space Invader icons hidden like in graffiti on buildings and, and billboards and stuff like that. And in like random like labels on products and stuff like that. And people engaging with these logos somehow with their AR. Yeah, it's an AR game. And that I feel like that could be kind of neat. It could be like the next Pokemon Go. I don't know. That was a fun phenomenon. I could I I could go for that again. When I see mobile game, I just I just scroll. So you didn't get on board with Pokemon Go, did you? No, I'm not on board with Pokemon. So why would I why would I get on board Pokemon Go? It was a a cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, one that I wasn't a part of the first time. Why would I want to be? I mean, I I might still play it. I just. The main thing I struggle with is do I evolve my Charmander? Never. Yeah, of course. Always. Never. I don't know. I've got more candies than I know what to do with, and I just don't want to involve them. Let's talk about Necromunda, uh, which is a standalone roll thing. Roll the R. Necromunda. I, I, I refuse to, to roll the R. You don't know that the R is rolled. In fact, um, I think it's likely that the R is not rolled because it's not a double R. It's rolled. This is not a Square a Square Enix thing square or a Square Enix thing. This is a separate entity outside of that demonstration. This is in the Warhammer universe, which, boy, do I not Keep know Keep releasing about games the in the Warhammer universe. Yeah. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> like, We're going to have to learn is what it seems like because we still don't know. But this was a very, I, I, it, it sounded like all three of us watched this trailer and we're just like, okay, it's Doom. I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's just Doom. It's not, it's not a Doom reskin, but it's clearly, clearly, clearly inspired by Doom. It's a Doom cyberpunk Mad Max reskin. Yeah. Very cyberpunky, which I liked. I like the chain. I, I like Doom. I actually haven't finished Doom still, the original. It, it's, it's fun. I like it, but I just haven't, the story hasn't hooked me. First of all, because there's not really much of a story. And second of all, the story is like demons, which I'm like, eh, I don't want demons. I want something, I want something different than that. Uh, well, the perhaps, original Doom wasn't supposed to have a story. If you want story, you should play Doom Eternal. I don't want to skip. That seems unfair. Okay, fair point. But I imagine Warhammer, you know, something Warhammer inspired, something like Necromunda will have more of a story than that. But my God, the blood. So much blood. Don't put the kids to bed before you watch this one. Trailer, I mean. And probably also before you play the game, put them to bed. I mean, I'm into it. I, I, I like, at least once in a while, I like kind of flashy action games like this. Not going to say no to it. Tactic, I don't know if you're, if the water's edge for you in terms of your interest in this is just being able to roll the R, but it feels that way a little bit right now. I mean, 
I like to work up a sweat sometimes when I play games, and this seems like it'll scratch that itch. It's got high intensity, it's got a lot of shooting, it's got bad guys that I can simply mow down, which in its own right is kind of satisfying. So I, I, I can very much see the the pleasure in playing this game. I'm going to blow up your spot. When I tried to get you to play Doom, you're like, this is too intense for me. It's making me sweaty. I yeah, can't do this. But I played a little bit and I just realized I don't want to get embarrassed right now and I'm wearing a nice shirt. Is there and a blow so, up your spot sound effect that on the board that you can play? Well, no. My spot, my spot being blown up was that I was wearing a shirt that I didn't want to saturate. I am just a very sweaty very, Italian just a very man. sweaty just a very sweaty person you should try doom vfr then make it even sweatier but i was really excited about this game as someone who played doom and doom eternal and loved them both i thought doom eternal was a little long in the tooth but both of them were super fun and really fluid games You're long in the tooth i don't know was, if that's the right use of long in the tooth but they, i appreciate the eternal phrase <laughs> um yeah. do you know what long in the tooth means stupid not to, not to go all dad on you uh, it means old yeah. Well, no, it's not long, long. No, long in the tooth just means old. Getting him all hot and bothered again. <laughs> well, that's for that, that's for a secret segment. That's a good tease for a secret segment. We're, we'll talk about what hot and bothered means to me if we haven't on the main episode yet, because it means something different than what you're th- currently thinking. I can guarantee you that. Anyways, but go on. <laughs> the the price point of this game. So both Doom and Doom Eternal. Granted, I played Doom Eternal free from Game Pass, but both of them released as sixty dollars games. And Necromunda, I can't roll my R's, sorry. Necromunda. Thank you. Thank you. Is releasing at $39.99. And I think you can pre-order it for even cheaper than that. And that's a great price point. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it won't be a super long game, but... I'll sweat for $39.99. Yeah, like, that's a that's a sweet price point right there. So I'm feeling I'm, this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling that. B- because I, I recently, I mean, I had a great experience with Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. That was a $40 game. I like this. I, I feel like I'm seeing it more and more. There are games that are like that have the feel of AAA titles that are like forty bucks is fine. And I'm like, Do you know yeah, what? That's it's great. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's like the return of the AA game. Like they have yeah. that polish, but they have the lower price point, and I love it. I'm here for it. I mean, I, I I certainly think Tony Hawk would still be considered AAA. I just think they were just they're just nice people. But like, I am beyond infuriated still. Like like. I think it was last week sometime my girlfriend was like, man, you know what I would love is to play uh, Mario Kart on the Switch. And I was like, oh, we, can, we, should just buy, we should just buy that. We should just have it. It's still $60, I think. Like, Dude, you must have just Switch missed the Mario are, Day sale. It no, the, sale. The, it, didn't, it wasn't included in the Mario Day sale. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, a bummer. Yeah, they really just don't like, and and Switch is kind of a special case, I think, where there's just certain games that they're just they're just never going to go on sale. And if they do go on sale, it's like, oh, we'll take ten bucks off. It's like, okay. It's- you know what's a fun, cheaper alternative that you guys should look into? Either Team Sonic Racing or the Crash Bandicoot Team Racing. Both of those super mm. great and not sixty dollars. Duly noted. Because I'm, yeah, a, I'm I- a big kart racing girl. I've played them all. I love them all. It's a guilty pleasure. And, and Mario Kart's great, but I just don't... It's just not worth that to me. At least currently, it's not. Um, so that's that's good to know. So we, we got we got Project Athia, also known as uh, Forspoken. We have Necromunda, or however you pronounce it, and Almost. a bunch of other smatterings of games that we just mentioned. But uh, we have to talk about what we've been playing, what we've been doing, what we have been up to. And I'm going to lead this week because I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go full-blown PSA, just a great show for pandemic times 
as we try to wean our way out of pandemic times, this is going to get you there. This is beyond relaxing. I think I've talked on this show before about my love for the Great British Baking Show. Guys, the Great Pottery Throwdown. Have you you heard of this show? No, I haven't. This is on HBO Max. And imagine the Great British Baking Show, but instead of baking things, they are making pottery. What do you you call a, a potter? I think What's you would call it that? a potter. I actually don't know, but but they 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 throw on a wheel and they're like, you know, you know, you know the uncanny yeah, the old Patrick Swayze. Yeah. They they don't do it in pairs like that, but uh Please tell me they make at least like one reference to ghost. I'm sure they have. They make actually a lot of penis references because there are certain things that you have to do in potting where like for example, adding a handle to a mug, you have to pull the handle and it looks it looks like you, you're stimulating a penis. I'd probably be pretty good at potting. Family episode, family show here at Online Warrior. No, I'm just think, thinking that I think I'd be good at it. I have an attention to detail. I'm just saying we keep bringing up penis stuff, and this one's on You me, brought it up. I yeah. was talking about I think I'd be good at potting. I mean, make whatever wanna, connections you want to make. Watching this show, I want to try like throwing clay so bad. It looks... I'm sure I'd be terrible at it. I'm sure it's like when I do an art, an art or a craft. I've seen it and it looks absolutely relaxing. It looks, it looks so relaxing. It's, it looks like the kind of thing that if you can become one with the idea of being dirty, because it's, it's like the dirtiest thing in the world. There's like water and clay flying everywhere. It's going to get everywhere. I'm out with that. Like, I think I would be fine with the prospect of getting on my clothes, but the idea of getting it's clay everywhere. under my fingernails would yep. gross me. Like, that's the thing. Like, even if I'm working in the garden, I need to wear gloves, man, because getting stuff under my fingernails is like the one thing that just grosses me out. That's the place where it goes the most in this show, at least as far as I can tell. But it's, so it's, yeah, I want to try it, but I'm the kind of person who, when I approach an art or a craft for the first time, it has to be perfect or I I'm sure you can find myself. And, you know how they have I those wine interest. and paint classes? I'm sure you can find a wine and pottery class. I would think so, right? You, I mean, actually, Clay's going to get in the wine, so you can't do have wine, but just You can get wine. a little sippy cup. That's not a bad idea. Just do it intravenous. Just inject it right into me. All sorts but, of these, these pop-up companies, feel free to take this idea. But now that things are becoming legal around the uh, the country... Pot yeah. and pottery. Pot and pottery. That's a, not a bad idea at all. You would just call it pottery, but you would make the pot, like the P-O-T part in green in your logo. But this show, like, it's, I think, I like, between this show and the Great Bridge Baking Show and probably other things, I'm, like, being, like, conditioned in, like, a splinter cell kind of way that when I hear British voices, I just immediately, like, stress rolls off of me, which is great. But they, they, they make, like, the last episode we watched, we watched an episode just before we started recording here, they made toilets. And it was fascinating because, of course, they're just not just making a plain white toilet. They can direct decorate it and turn it into whatever form they want and make sure it still functions as a toilet. And it's as, as a, like, I, I have respect for craftsmen. If you have respect for craftsmen and craftswomen, watch this show. I they can't, can't all be enough. spun. You can't all spin up toilet. The toilets were hand-built. They okay. do a mixture of hand-building and spinning which they actually call it throwing clay there to get to get the, the terminology correct. They do a bunch of stuff. They do like one one spot challenge they had was they had to make a bouquet of roses out of clay. How would you do that? Well, they did it, and it's it's mesmerizing to watch. Hard recommend. That's that's my update for the week. I also finished a Stephen well, King sold. book, but I don't even want to talk about that. I just want to talk about Great Pottery Throwdown because it's been amazing. We've gone through two seasons, and there's only one left, and I'm sad about it. But HBO Max, check it out. Nerd bummer. Over to you. So- 
two things, and I feel like Technic and I might combine, so I'll quickly get into the book that I'm reading. I am reading To Sleep in a Sea of Stars, which is the latest book by the person who wrote the Aragon series, Christopher Paolini. I didn't know he was still kicking. I mean, he's very uh, he, young, but I thought he got out of writing. This is his first quote-unquote adult science fiction slash fantasy style book. And I will say, I guess it's taken him like a decade to write this book. It is an 800-pound behemoth of a novel. No. It's massive. Like, this easily could have been split into two books. And it's taken me a while to read. The unfortunate part, so this was a birthday gift from my parents. I had wanted this book for a while. I loved Aragon. I was like super into those books as a kid. And I've heard after I grew up, because like that kind of with Redwall, like books like that, that really sparked my interest in science fiction and fantasy and that kind of stuff. So I've read a lot of those type of books. And especially like as I grew up, I started reading more adults instead of like young adults. And I've heard that if you go back and you read Aragon now as an adult who's read like seasoned fantasy, the writing is a little just meh. Meh. And you can kind of feel that in To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. Nah. And it's a little sad and a little disappointing. And you can tell he hits his stride as the book goes on. But I will say for the first probably like 200 pages or so of the book. Oh, God. I was like, well, I mean, it's like an 800 page book. So I was like, I need to give this thing a fair shake. I need to at least get halfway through. And the first 200 pages were slow. And it took me the longest to read those 200 pages because there's a lot of just like, it, I won't even call it's it dry exp- exposition. Yeah, it's kind of dry exposition. He also does that thing where, and I hate this when authors do this, like things that are specific to the world that he built, there's a glossary in the end and he just throws yeah. words and terms around and expects you to look them up in the back or to understand them from context. And you don't. Yeah, the, the Inheritance Trilogy had glossaries. I think yeah. he was a little better about that because he knew he was marketing it to kids, but and it yeah, was he would do that. It was more like there were different races and stuff. And mm-hmm. whereas this is like the human race exploring space. And so between a lot of that terminology and then what I felt was kind of uninspired alien design, like he decides that the alien race that they meet very early on in the book, he's going to call them jellies because they look like jellyfish and I was just like oh, that's just like that's very uninspired and like when they when they finally converse with the aliens there's another name but ultimately like everyone just calls them jellies and that bothers me this is upsetting because you had me really interested i didn't even know he had come out with a new book and i would have so hang tight the first 200 pages kind of rough but i can't hang i can't hang tight for 200 pages like i'm telling you right now i can't do that but but go on pages 200 to 800 are actually like once you get into it and you've got the terminology down and you're like invested in the world, it moves pretty fast. You start to care about the characters a little bit more. The story is actually good. I feel like if you would have just maybe skipped somehow or like condensed it down, because like I, the first 200 pages, I was like this, I'm going to give this like a two star in my Goodreads. And now I'm like, this is probably like a four star book at the end of this. Yeah, I was about to Google what kind of reviews this has gotten it's gotten really good reviews too that's the thing that's like so i don't know if it's just me being like nitpicky because i expected aragon level of wonder and i didn't get it right away and i had to wait 200 pages to get there but like i wouldn't say it's a bad book because i'm really enjoying it now and pages 200 to 800 have really flown by and have like i think it took me 
a month to read the first 200 pages and now maybe like a week and a half to read the rest of the book, if that tells you anything. It does. So if you can make it through the first 200 pages, there is a really good book here. I feel like maybe his editor just did him dirty. It's possible, I suppose. I'll look into it. Uh, My internet browser froze, so I can't look up the uh, I will say it's gotten <laughs> reviews so like most of the the major publication outlets have given it really good reviews if you look on like goodreads 3.8 on goodreads you either have like that. really good reviews and the reason why it's like a 3.8 is you have a slew of like fours and fives people saying this is great then you have a slew of like ones where it's like this is garbage but they probably didn't read past page 200 so right that would be me potentially good to know good yeah. uh good info so like i said like I like the story. I was a little disappointed in the beginning and how it, the world building was set up, but I liked the story. And overall, I think I landed in the upper echelon of the ratings with this book, which took me a while to get there. It's no Aragon, though. Yeah, I should I should lower my expectations, I think. Okay, and you said Tectic and you are going to combine forces? Justice League, the Snyder oh. Cut. Right, I forgot about this. Go on. I am going to say this. I thought it was good. The problem with Justice League initially was that it didn't take the time to develop the characters. And when you have four hours, you've got time to do that, for sure. And so I thought with regards to character development, I thought it was done really, really well. I thought it was nice to see that Stefan Wolf had a purpose more than just, I bad guy. It was, you know, to redeem himself, to find a place under Darkseid. Great. Great, great, great. And it, it gave him more of a, a personality. You almost kind of felt for him to some sense, which was nice. Now, that said, there's obviously some things that I didn't really care for. And again, it's the long, long duration. Some of the Superman-related battles just seemed too Wait, easy. Yeah. That's how the, I mean, that's how the original cut was. Yeah, and I, and I still don't like that. It's just... Can't really fix it. Superman's a broken character. You can't... I'll, I'll die on this hill. <laughs> you can't take down an entire Amazonian squad, and then Superman's like, nah, use, use a pansy. <laughs> Done. You put up a little bit more of a fight. Come on. Right. But I guess that kind of sets it up for a, a sequel with Darkseid, so I can kind of see... I was, I've been told there is not going to be a sequel. Yeah, so I think this movie, even though it sets up a sequel, they said that this is not canon. Nothing will come of this. And that's this the worst is part. just for, for us. And why and do it? The worst part. So they set up it not one. It made it better, though. Not two, but three possible sequels. You had Darkseid wanting to get the anti-life equation. They set up... By the way, Mar- spoil- spoilers to all this. Oh, yeah. They set up Martian Manhunter joining the squad. And they set up a apocalyptic wasteland where... Where the Joker is. Where the Joker is. And they reference the Red Hood in it. And I'm just like, how can nothing come from any of this? You guys are bastards. Who is? The studio or Zack Snyder for even trying? Because I, I, I think Why set all of that up if it's not canon, nothing's going to come of it? Well, I think people requested it. And so he delivered. Yeah. I think... I don't so, know. Zack Snyder knew that that whole movie was never going to get made. I think it's a little bit on him. So one of the things that I will say is that 
I believe they said that ultimately Zack Snyder had gotten this entire giant massive movie down to like three and a quarter or three and a half hours and they didn't want to go any shorter than that. So he was like, screw it, I'm out. And that's what caused him to leave. And I will say this was better. And I think if you could convince people, which would be a hard sell, and I kind of understand why they didn't want to give that long of a movie runtime in theaters, is because all of the movies, the DC movies leading up to Justice League were not well received. So how are you going to convince people they want to spend three and a half hours in a theater? Now, what what you do is you make it in two. Right. And I think that's exactly what they should have done because the first half of the movie is setting up the backstories for all of these characters who are recruited into the Justice League who are just introduced in this movie. And Joss Whedon really cut a lot of that and it really cut down the stakes for why this team is together. And I will say Cyborg is not my favorite character in any adaptation, whether it's Doom Patrol or Justice League. I think he's kind of whiny. I understand why he's whiny, but I just think he's kind of whiny. It's amazing in Teen Titans. Right. But like, I, I don't know. I, I don't like the woe is me type thing, I guess, that he portrays. But Cyborg's backstory is really fleshed out and explained in the Snyder Cut. And it's pivotal to why the team and why the story is even existing. Like the entire mother box thing really hinges on Cyborg's origin story. And by cutting pretty much all of that, none of the characters really seem like there's a reason for them to get together in the first place. Right. Which he was like made from a mother box, right? That's like the thing. Yeah. So you, yeah, you get didn't rid mention of that, that in the original and, cut at all, by the way. Yeah, there's there's so many things. And even like the Flash, the way the Flash is introduced in the original Justice League versus the Snyder Cut. I feel like the Flash's story was better. The Flash seemed a little bit more competent in this story. He wasn't Which just that's, like... That, that's interesting because I thought he was the best part of the original. I I think he was also one of the better parts in the Snyder Cut, but I think they did his story a little bit more justice, no pun intended, in the Snyder Cut. And I think really ultimately what this all boils down to, in my opinion, and Tactic, I don't know if you feel the same way, but if you would have just given these characters their own origin stories and followed the MCU formula where you don't try to make a team movie with a bunch of characters nobody is introduced to yet, and you give them an introduction, that would have been so much better. And then the Justice League, getting them together, people would already have connections to these characters and it would have made sense. Or just even splitting the movie in two. But we didn't get that. We instead got it in the form of this four-hour movie, which proved to be a better experience. When you care about the Justice League characters as individuals a little bit more, it makes the team up more appealing and compelling. Another thing I, I, I will say I'm glad that they didn't do is there's one scene where Superman, you know, is resurrected and, and he doesn't really remember anything and, he, and he's coming off as very aggressive and he's attacking everyone. I'm really glad Bruce didn't go up to him and go, hey, remember, remember Martha? Right. Because, <laughs> because that was terrible. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I the metaphor I used before, I think I might have even used before on the show, I'll say it again. DC tried to eat the cake before they baked it. Exactly. And uh, that was very clear in the original cut. It might have been less clear in the Snyder Cut, but I think the Snyder Cut still had to have had the same problems. And at the very least, if it tried to fix those problems, that's why it was four hours long. 
And I will say the epilogue, I know a lot of people loved the interaction between the Joker and Batman, but that was like 30 minutes of a four hour movie you could have gotten rid of. I did not need it. Like, I know people enjoyed it, but like, this is, as you said before, this is setting up sequels that are never going to happen. And now I'm sitting through, like, it could have been a three and a half hour experience instead of this four hour thing that by the end, I was just like, why am I watching this? Even even the dialogue was just dragged out. His Each time he stopped talking to laugh was like a minute of, of a door creaking. Well, it was like there was a lot of B-roll where he would say something and it would just like pan on Joker's face for a little bit. And you're like, what the fuck? And then Batman crap? would just go, fuck you. He did. He cussed. So I thought there were there were still a lot of things that could have been done better. It was a thousand times better than the original. There were things that could have been done better. There were things that confused me, like why introduce the Martian Manhunter at all? If you watch the Snyder Cut, you will understand what I'm saying because there's two places where he shows up and it's super tangential and you're just like, why? Yeah, I, I saw the first place and I was like, what the heck? Yeah. I don't, and it's, it's yeah, just I like... spoil where it is, but it's... So there's things that still could have been done better. I think this version of the movie was way better. I understand, though, why they didn't want to sell people on a three and a half hour movie experience. Just remember, Lois is the key. So, t- tactic, last thought, star rating before we move on to the quiz. Out of what? Uh, four. Uh, that's kind of an unfair. Uh, I'm going to use half points. I'm going to give it a two and a half. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I would say very solid two and a half. Duly noted. Right on. Okay. Justice League, four-hour cut. Check it out on HBO Max also. Nerd Bomber, you have a quiz for us today. Is that correct? I do. And so this quiz is all about Harry Houdini. Our Patreon subscribers voted on this because it is Houdini's birthday on the day that this episode releases. So happy birthday, Harry Houdini. H-Dog. Big ups. Lots of fun, interesting things. I tried to find things that weren't necessarily about magic. I love I magic, like, guys. Good choice. Good choice, Patreon people. You're basically yeah. Phil Dunphy, right? I'm basi- If I could go to the Magic Castle, I would. Let me put it that way. And if you don't know what the Magic Castle is, I'm not talking about Disney World. Just Google it. All right? I'm Phil Dunphy. <laughs> Phil Dunphy off. So I'll, I'll start this off. Um, Tactic, you'll go first, and then we'll do kind of round robin. Again, this is a Price is Right style trivia. We'll start this off because it's Houdini's birthday. Can you tell me the year that Harry Houdini was born? 1950. Way too late. I mean, geez, dude, respect yourself. 1850. All right, Illegal gets this point. He was born in 1874. Yeah, I, I was, I, after I said it, I was like, I was off by 100 years. <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd still be, a, well, I guess we'll get to his death probably, but. If it was 1950, there's a good chance he'd still be alive. Okay, good. I'm on the board. Next up, obviously, we know Harry Houdini was a master mu- magician. I almost said musician, but no, he was a master magician. Very great with chains and everything like that. He was so good that he was elected to be the president of the Society of American Magicians. What year was he elected as president of SAM? He was a... Uh... Well, look, we can extrapolate this from his birthday. When did his career peak? And also, when did he die? Because I actually don't know when he died. This was 1905. He was 31. I think he was a younger success. I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to say he was 20, so I'm going to say 1890. If anything, you're, you're probably right. I would err on the younger side than what I said. He was actually a little bit older, so legal gets this one. He was elected president in 1917. 
He had to be heading towards death by that point, but I don't know. Nerbomber, do you have any questions about how he died? Because I want to say how he died so bad. I but don't. You can say. I don't know. Do you guys know how he died? I have no idea. Oh, wait, no, I do know. He was punched in the stomach. And he got then punched his, like, in the stomach. His appendix ruptured or something like that. There are people that think he was, like, assassinated in, like, a very particular way where, like, someone managed to, like, burst his appendix by punching him the right way or something. It's a fa- It's fascinating. There's, like, whole YouTube videos about it. But anyways, go on. So now I kind of like went into other things, non-magic things that Harry Houdini was involved in. And one of the things I was surprised to find out was he was actually an avid aviator. And even though there's some dispute over this claim, he is usually recognized as the first person to ever make a controlled flight in a powered plane on Australian soil. When did that flight take place? Who's up first? Is this tactic again? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. I'm going to say 1907. That's a, that's a strong guess. Wright Brothers, I think, were 04 or 05. Can't have been long after that. <sighs> I'm going to give you a sporting chance. I'm not going to plus one you because that, that doesn't seem right, uh, especially when I'm up by two. So I'm going to say uh, 1912, same year as the, as the Titanic. So Tectic gets this one because Illegal busted by two years, even though he was closer. Okay, yeah. The flight took place on March 18th, 1910 in Digger's Rest, which is near Melbourne. Tactic, don't say I never did anything for you. Okay. <laughs> now the score here illegal has two tactic has one i have two questions on a tiebreaker left so this is still anybody's game and the next one is actually about something that really peeved harry houdini so while he made his fortune tricking people with his yeah, he, he masters of illusions he hated spiritualists and people yeah. who claimed they could put people in contact with their dead loved ones or read people's fortunes. And he actually offered people a reward to someone who could prove that they held powers. How much was that reward? It's funny because I I knew this because, again, I have YouTube videos. I've watched YouTube videos about Harry Houdini. He's a very interesting man. And he hated these people, like hated them. With a passion. It's going to sound like not that big of a number, but it was a huge number back then. $10,000. That's a solid guess. I'm going to guess 8,000. I feel like you're right there. Illegal did have this right on the money. No pun. Well, yeah, pun intended, honestly. I'm just going to lean into it. Pun intended. He offered a reward of $10,000 to anyone who could prove they held powers. Which and back then, oh my that God. That was a lot of money. That was so much money. And he actually, he debunked a lot of spiritualists and frauds, basically ruined their quote unquote careers. He even testified before Congress yep. to try to get those people outlawed and have spiritualists outlawed in the United States. So he really hated that. I agree. He, All these, these Long Island mediums. <laughs> like after he died, like there was a whole thing too, because people, I'm trying to remember if it was, it was that his wife did contact him or try to, or she wouldn't even try because she knew that he wouldn't want to be or something. It was a whole, and it was wrapped up in this whole hatred he had for spiritualism. It was very interesting. I, I, I implore anyone who's listening to go watch videos about Harry Houdini. Dude was absolutely fascinating. I so, clearly am an expert. But, I mean, let's are. finish this out. But uh, you are definitely going to win this. You're winning three to one. But I have one last question. I thought it was pretty interesting about Houdini. So we're just going to play this out and see where the, the chips fall. So he actually was also a film producer, actor, and a stuntman, and he created his own film studio called the Houdini Pictures Corporation. And they made films like The Grim Game, The Master of Mystery, and Terror Island, where he actually performed his own stunts, which was actually pretty dangerous at the time. In what year did he create that film studio? Well, 
You got to think about what movies were like back then. Can't have been earlier than the 20s. I'm going to say this was this was height of depression times. This was this was 19 I think he made it 1927 right before the market went belly up. I'm going to go with right after he flew in Australia, he did that. So I'm going to go 1908. So Tectic gets this. It was actually in 1919 he created the film studio. Wow. It was only running and in an operation for several years before he lost a ton of money and had to close it down. He was ahead of the game. 1919, that's early for movie movie crap. Good for you, Harry. Um, so, Illegal magically wins this week's trivia and will true. be our host next week. It is magical. I mean, I've been on a losing streak for a while now. It feels good to be uh, off the schneid, so to speak. I moved to 4-2 and two on the year. Nerd Bomber 4-1, and one, Tactic 2-3. and three. I'll be continuing to keep you all updated on the scores throughout the year. But... We have reached the close here. So we want to thank you all for listening. Head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Hit us up on Twitter. I already mentioned the handles. And keep on listening. Tell your friends. Tell your pets. Tell your houseplants. Put earbuds into flowers and see what happens. That's the main thing I want to leave you with. Thank you all so much for listening. We love doing this. We love doing it for all of you. And we will see you all next week. Hey, Andy. Yes, Lisa. You ever sit around thinking about how Ren and Stimpy is the greatest Nicktoon ever? I mean, I sit around thinking about how Rocco is and how Ren and Stimpy isn't even top five. Well, you're wrong, and now I challenge you to a fight to the death. Uh, you know what? Let, let's mark that down as plan B. Uh, hey, gang, uh, check out 90s Court Podcast, where each week, Lisa and I discuss two things from the 90s that brought us great joy. Or great cringe. We cover movies, TV, video games, music, toys, food, and so much more. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you podcast and catch up on a great backlog of 90s goodies. And be sure and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 90s Court because it's 90s Court. And that means that you, the jury, decide who wins each week. And if this podcast thing doesn't work out, I can always just murder Andy. Please listen.